Hey everybody, this is John Fusco, and you're listening to the No Film School Podcast. It's no secret that filmmakers copy those other filmmakers in their lives who most inspire them. Whether that's picking up on some sort of trademark dialogue, production design, pacing, music, performances, editing, or camera work, many times it's easy to identify and trace a piece of style one director drew influence in from another. With two wildly different yet eerily similar films under his belt, Nicholas Pesch is mastering the art of adapting his favorite filmmaker's techniques in a way that serve his own form of storytelling. He describes his first film, The Eyes of My Mother, as his tribute to 50s, 60s black and white horror. While he claims his newest project, the stylistically impressive thriller Piercing, is his take on the giallo crime pictures which peaked in popularity in Italy during the 1970s. That's not to say his films are a direct emulation of those pieces that he so dearly loves. As his actor Christopher Abbott puts it, filmmaking is all about, quote, gathering influences to create something of your own. Clearly, Pesh is a filmmaker who is not only interested in taking risks, but in creating and pushing style as well. Piercing is indeed one of those risky pictures. Abbott plays a man with, well, psychological problems. One night, he kisses his wife and baby goodbye, seemingly on his way to a business conference. His real plan, however, is to check into a hotel, call an escort service, and kill an unsuspecting prostitute. That prostitute is played by Mia Wasikowska, who ends up providing her captor with a little bit more trouble than he initially imagined. I sat down with Pesh, Abbott, and their producer Jacob Wasserman back at Sundance. We discussed cultivating tone and style in your picture, maintaining your vision through intensely detailed pre-production, and how to create screenplays that will attract both actors and producers to your project. Enjoy. Hey guys, it's John Fusco, and I'm here with Nick Pesh, Chris Abbott, and Jake Wasserman. Two years removed from the last time I met with you and Jake uh, at Sundance with the As My Mother. Um... Hey, <laughs> how you doing? Good do you want to do you want actually uh, introduce yourself so that the audience can get familiar with your voices? Sure, I'm Nick Pesh, Christopher Abbott, Jake Wasserman, John Fusco. Okay, <laughs> um, so I guess I'll just start off by asking, you know, what have you been up to the past two years? Like, what got you to the position where you can make piercing after Eyes of My Mother? Um, I was actually reading piercing while we were making Eyes of My Mother and um, fell in love with the book and, you know, the producing team that had done As My Mother, including Jake. Um, we were eager to make another movie together um, and the financier of Eyes got me the rights to piercing and kind of very quickly, when I was on the, like, festival tour of Eyes, I was writing piercing and... Um, and we shot it like just about exactly a year after we shot Eyes of My Mother. Jake, what about you? What have you been up to? Oh man, um, well after Eyes, we, we we were prepping piercing um, and then Chris and I also did another movie, Tyrell, together, which is at Sundance. Um, but I think kind of after, like Nick said, just after Eyes, we we're all looking to do like kind of a, take the role out of the success from Eyes and try to do something a little bit bigger in scope. Um, and piercing definitely set the just the material set the stage for being able to do that. What did uh, eyes? Uh, how did like eyes make that whole process easier? Making your second film bigger. Um, people liked the movie, which <laughs> yeah. was which was surprising and helpful. Um, I think that it was it was cool to see that we were 
right in thinking that people would be down for kind of more esoteric genre stuff. For sure. Um, and it, it made me and the rest of the team confident that we could kind of do another equally specific thing in a different sort of vein um, and people wouldn't be bothered by it, you know? And I think that Eyes was kind of, was so subversive but well-received that it gave me, yeah, the confidence to do just weird in a different kind of way. Right. Last night in the Q&A, you said that uh, sort of Eyes was your 50s, 60s horror tribute and Piercing is your Giallo tribute. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, Chris loves hearing me say Giallo over and over and over and over <laughs> I again. I love Giallo, but I, I, I said, I said, Nick, if you say the word Giallo one more time, I'm going to cut your head off. So Giallo, Giallo, Giallo. And cutting my head off in this interview would be very Giallo. Yeah, so, it would be. Um, very uh, yeah, you know, I think that the... Um, and when I say that, I mean... As, Suspiria is amazing, but I mean less the Suspiria side of things and more the, like, Tenebrae, Deep Red... Um, uh, don't torture a duckling side of it and the more crimey stuff and the Italian filmmakers have such like a pageantry to the way they make um, thrillers yeah. and crime stories and it's so colorful and the music is so vibrant and the style is um, is kind of like the polar opposite of Eyes of My Mother but mm. I love the texture of all of that stuff and, and I think that as we as we conceived the movie, we were always looking for ways to like play with reality. And I think a lot of the Giallo stuff, um, whether intentionally or not, uh, just by the nature of a lot of the technical things they were doing, uh, really do that kind of ambiguous, like, where am I? What is this atmosphere that I'm feeling? And letting everything down to like the sets and the art on the walls inform the character stuff. Yeah. So Chris, not to, I'm not going to use the word, but how did that, uh, (laughs) style of film influence your performance? Um, well, (laughs) what word? (laughs) Say it. Not going to say it. (laughs) Um, well, I mean, like, it, the, uh, it, what's great about it is, like, it kind of lives in this whole alternate universe and a non-reality in mm-hmm. a way. So then I think the kind of the the parameters kind of then start expanding of what you can do. And you can kind of start being as uh, you can start being a little bit more absurd. You know, mm-hmm. like, it, it's it's such a funny thing to like have two films here, one being piercing and one being Tyrell, whereas you know, Tyrell, like a lot of crazy stuff happens, but it's it's very much based in naturalism. Mm-hmm. Whereas this this movie's like highly stylized. So um, it's, I mean, for me, it's just like, it was a joy to kind of, one, actually do physical comedy. Right. You know, which I've not really gotten to do. And kind of like an, a weird ode to like all those, you know, like, like Keaton, almost like silence. Silent yeah, films. like yeah. like I I didn't I didn't I realized that as we we're filming it too. Like oh, I was like oh I know I've never gotten to do this, and it was like it's that that was I'm that was a joy. For yeah, me. yeah. Right. I mean, you don't see mime in a like <laughs> ten minute segment or in many movies. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of uh, especially in the performances like silent film stuff. And, and a lot of Jacques Tati in there, like yeah. in the little things of like you getting out of the car outside of the hospital, you know, there's, there's a physicality that's just as playful as the tone of everything is. And so many things we always equated to like a dance, whether it was the murder rehearsal or a lot of the stunts and more of the physical stuff. Um, there's, 
there's a yeah a dance every, every like, like every, to there's it. a physical element to the entire film weirdly that I think I think just we all kind of naturally gra- gravitated towards um, like the, you know the way Mia moves in the movie is very like like she just kind of floats around mm-hmm. the entire movie mm-hmm. you know and then and then my character Reed is kind of like very slow you know he walks slow mm-hmm. everything he speaks kind of slowly mm-hmm. and quietly and like there's a like there's like a there's um like a repetition to his character too i mean he's obviously got, yeah. yeah yeah he's like that's that's his thing yeah, you yeah, know what i mean yeah. and and being concise and but he's all but then he's also has no idea what he's doing mm-hmm. you know at the same yeah. time it's uh it's absurd and really really fun yeah i mean playing with status like that must have been pretty fun because we go in the first maybe half hour and though you're like kind of a bumbling dude we know already your intentions so it kind of like lifts your status above mia's but then there's that reversal maybe like halfway through the film and then it and then it just and keeps yeah. circulating and then it keeps going and going yeah. and going it's cool yeah. um and nick this is interesting because it's kind of like eyes of my mother in that sense where that reversal happens where you think you know this person's going to be the villain or the antagonist and uh then it's like no there's like three antagonists <laughs> you know yeah i'm I'm fascinated with kind of uh, subverting genre tropes and making you think you know what you've gotten yourself into, but then flipping it on its head. And and I think that in terms of characters, I think that it's... I always think back to guys like Hannibal Lecter and a character who you don't know whether to like or hate, I think is the most interesting. And to populate a movie where every character is like that I think is fun because the audience gets to lean into different characters at different times. And, and I think it keeps you on your toes, not uh, thinking that, you know, what's going on and then you don't. Yeah. I mean, it, it keeps the audience engaged for sure. Um, so Jake, for you, you're here with Tyrell and piercing anything. Are you here with anything else? Like I, I feel like you're at festivals with like three, three or four projects. You're trying for a VR project that Nick and I did a few months ago, but uh, we didn't finish in time. Uh, well, um, maybe South by or we'll see. Next one. We'll just watch it ourselves again yeah. and again. Are you like more drawn towards these stylized projects, or maybe like something like Tyrell, yeah. as Chris was saying, was well, not to pick I, a favorite? I but. think I just like challenging and complex films, and like I'm just like, drawn to films that are uncomfortable at times that I think. Uh, are risky in their their storytelling form format, and I think like with in particular with a film like Piercing, one I trust Nick. I mean, he's we've known each other, we've been best friends since college, right. um, and I know what he's going to do with stuff. But I think uh, one of Nick's biggest strengths is he's like a meticulous planner, and very early on in Piercing and even Eyes My Mother, he just like aligned every department head, every producer, you know, the actor as to what like the film was mm-hmm. and he made this like 70 page lookbook that had you know some all, all these film references and images and wardrobe and colors and just very quickly like all it took was scrolling through this lookbook to say oh, okay i understand what the movie is um, and then in addition to that nick shot still frames of essentially every scene of the film um, and built miniature these little like miniatures of the sets um, and then photographed like what so we very early on, we all knew, okay, we have a confidence as to like, he's going in this direction, right. but we understand what this film is and what, we're, what he's gonna do with it. And I think um, that's something that, yeah, just is like, I, 
a lot of directors plan, but is very unique to Nick and his uh, his mind. Right, that's sort of an insane pre-production process. How how long does that take you? <laughs> it takes a long time. <laughs> yeah, but it, um, so so different from Tyrell, which was more you know Sebastian Silva is like a more the strength of it. he he creates these little worlds where you just step into and there's a freedom to it. Um, like in it's a lot of improv, improv based, whereas piercing we kind of knew every frame right. <laughs> of what the movie was, was going to be like months before we even shot it so what did you do for piercing for for pre-production um i i heard you in this other interview before and i was like holy shit yeah so i crazy. literally like we didn't have the um we didn't have the sets yet uh-huh. um they hadn't been built and um and we had only at this point cast chris so Unlike I had done this on Eyes of My Mother, but I I wasn't able to like shoot stills on the locations with the actors, um, but I still wanted to shoot the movie before shooting the movie. Right. So I literally like did it as like a combination of like miniatures with dolls, and then also like I I did I would Photoshop things into it, and basically just um, out of foam core made like scale models of all the sets, and and with like a yeah, with a still camera, just shot the whole movie. Did you make the models that we end up seeing? No. Okay. So the so the, those the miniatures I'm talking about now were not used in the movie, and there are miniatures in the film, but right. they were made um, by uh, an awesome artist named Laurie Nix, yeah. and um, they were not. Yeah, those were better than my models. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, it seems like you were attached pretty early on into the project. Uh, what did like what drew you to it? Um, well, I had known Nick already, yeah. and. Um, Nick had helped out with some like early editing stuff for uh, James White, and that's where I, that's where I got to know him. Um, and and then uh, and then I saw Eyes of My Mother, and then like I, I like I remember like immediate like even that first the first driving shot like through the through the truck window, and I was, and like I was like the, the cool thing was like I felt I felt all of Nick's influences, mm-hmm. but then also v- with that film, but then also very much felt his style. Mm-hmm. And I think like, and I think as an artist, like that's the best, that's the best thing you can do. I think we're all very much influenced by, by if you're a director, by other directors and actor, by other actors, blah, blah, blah. But then you kind of turn that into something of your own. And, um, and through, and through eyes of my mother, I knew, I, Obviously, felt I saw saw that Nick was a cinephile yeah. for, first and foremost yeah, yeah. because there's his influences are run a gamut. It wasn't just one person. Like you know, like the opening shot felt like felt like this long Bellatar like shot or something like that. And I was like, okay, you know, and it, I um so I gravitated towards that. And then as soon as Pearson came up, like I immediately said yes. Did you uh, like were you involved in the script process at all no. or no no. Do you want to talk a little bit about adapting a novel? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, this novel was a movie in as a book. You know, like it was writ- literally down to it's written in the present tense. It's a um, hundred something pages. It's super short. It I read it and it felt like a movie. And um, I whether he knew it at the time, I was writing it for him and. Um, and I think that it was a relatively straightforward adaptation. I think the biggest thing was figuring out um, in the book. There's a f- there's 45 pages of like internal monologue of this guy thinking about how he's going to go about doing this murder, and for me that was always the hardest thing to 
you know, you can't have a 45 minute sequence of a guy by himself contemplating. Um, and, and that became the murder rehearsal, which yeah. I think is one of the coolest scenes in the movie. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, obviously as with any book, there is more real estate in a novel than you have in a movie in two hours and you know, however long it is. And, um, so there's, there's backstory and stuff that, um, we only get hints at in the film uh, that it goes into a little more depth in the book, but they're all the like elements from the book have ended up in the movie more right. or less. It's kind of like you pick and choose uh, what information to give that will actually reveal some of that backstory. Right. Yeah, exactly. So then what were some of the, what was the like big image that uh, jumped out to you from the book that you were like, oh man, like this is a scene that would look like awesome. I need to make this movie. The when he walks into the bathroom and she's stabbing herself in the leg, and he just stands there and is like, okay, yeah. Um, I thought it was awesome because even on the page in the novel, you literally turn the page, read that, you get the same like gasp that you would get in watching the movie, but then kind of similar to the scene in the movie, it just kind of, it, there is no like, oh my God, this is crazy. It's just kind of like- It dissipates. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's like, okay, I see who I'm with. And and uh, kind of the juxtaposition between the shockingness of the moment uh, next to the character kind of dealing with it in a really normal way was kind of everything to me. And in that moment, you have this guy who had been planning to kill this girl. And I think it's really interesting that he chooses to help her in that moment. Yeah. I mean, you talk about subverting genre and audience expectations. Like I was in that moment, I was like, oh God, like I I told you I was, I was getting nauseous and I was like, okay, here we go. Like it's going to be like this for the rest of the movie now because I'd seen eyes and then I'm not going to like spoil anything, but no, like again, like you just keep become something else. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know, like 15 minutes into the movie, I was like, Oh, this is not a horror movie. This is a dark romantic comedy. As you said last night, originally designed for Hollywood's elite colorists, Da Vinci Resolve has been used on more feature films and TV shows than anything else, because it lets you create images that are simply impossible with other tools. The latest release of Resolve now incorporates full non-linear editor functionality and fully featured Fairlight audio, integrated directly with color tools to provide a comprehensive and complete pipeline for finishing. Recently introduced and making an impact around the industry for its high quality and flexible form factor, the Ursa Mini Pro professional digital camera combines incredible image quality with the features of a traditional broadcast camera. Ergonomically designed controls on the side of the camera allow you to adjust most settings by feel and without ever having to take your eyes off the action. Ursa Mini Pro also features built-in ND filters, a status display, and a revolutionary new interchangeable lens mount that lets you change between EF photographic lenses, or PL, B4, and F mount lenses. Ursa Mini Pro is lightweight and comfortable enough to use all day, has controls that are extremely fast to use, and image quality that's far superior to broadcast cameras costing 10 times more. That's the Ursa Mini Pro Professional Digital Cinema Camera from Blackmagic Design. The all-new VideoMic Pro Plus from Rode Microphones is jam-packed with useful features for shooters on the go. The automatic power function is perfect for the run-and-gun shooter, automatically turning the microphone off when unplugged from the camera. The mic's built-in battery door makes replacing the battery a breeze, plus it won't get lost. It has multiple power options, including the all-new and Rode LB1 lithium-ion rechargeable battery, two AA batteries, or powering continuously via micro-USB. 
The VideoMic Pro Plus also offers digital switching, which ensures that you have ultimate capture of the audio signal at the source, reducing post-production and editing times. Finally, the High Frequency Boost will boost high frequencies, enhancing detail and clarity in the recording. And a safety channel helps ensure that the signal does not clip when unexpected spikes occur. That's the all-new VideoMic Pro Plus from Rode Microphones. So then let's talk about what exactly, I mean, you guys are all borderline, like, family, essentially. What is it like? What are the advantages of being part of a family like borderline? There's so many, you know, uh, it's the collaboration. I think that we have, like, a community of filmmakers and... You know, it's tremendous. I respect Tony Campos as a director so much. And to have a director that I respect standing next to me on set when there's an issue and I can turn to him and say, like, what do you think? It's a cool, it's a really amazing resource to have. Um, and, you know, like, like Chris was saying, there's, there's plenty of old filmmakers that I look up to, but there's contemporaries that I look up to as well. And it's awesome to have them kind of in the wheelhouse to help us out was he on set for the uh the every entire? day wow that's awesome and jake were you on set or were you uh yeah between that and up in the production office uh yeah <laughs> running back and forth between gotcha. the two um so then you know you're you're doing the grudge next and border is borderline going to be involved in that at all or no it... the i um skylar weiss who is a producer on uh eyes of my mother and piercing is on grudge with me okay. but uh no borderline so i was just gonna ask like how it feels to kind of leave the nest in a sense are you like nervous at all or what's uh i think i'm i'm excited for like my uh like a new thing you know making it, it's it's significantly bigger than my first two oh, yeah. movies and um it's gonna be uh it's gonna be different and new and i think that m more than anything i'm excited for like eyes and piercing were very different but like grudge is also going to be very different and um i'm excited to kind of throw my hat into the ring of uh the studio franchise horror because i think it's kind of crap and I want to make it better. Are you going to be like writing? Yeah, I wrote the script. You wrote the script. Hell yeah, that's awesome. Do you ever, do you ever plan on not making a horror film, or do you think like horror is the? Yeah, I mean, thing? well, piercing. I also don't necessarily consider a horror film. Right. I think that um, uh, there's uh, after Grudge, the next thing that I'm writing is uh, an adaptation of a Ray Bradbury short story, uh -huh, yeah. um, and it's a sci-fi and. Um, I can't see myself making like a naturalistic Brooklyn hipster coming of age movie. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm attracted to genre and whether it's horror, sci-fi thriller, I think that it's just fun to, um, to get to push the style and push the storytelling. And yeah. Was there anything, uh, like any major lessons that you learned on your first feature that you were able to use for this second feature? planning first of all like the the more you plan the better um but also i guess like uh not really being precious about things like i'm not someone who like is like i can't kill my darlings i'm like i'm like fucking cut yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i can slash all you can and um and and with eyes of my mother because of that it, it was not discovered the movie wasn't discovered in the edit per se but it was definitely reinvented in the edit and um and knowing and realizing that a movie kind of like takes on a life of its own and 
does and does its own thing and you kind of just have to roll with it. The same that I took on to this, you know, the book, the book definitely does have a sense of humor, but then in writing it, the story is very dark and then kind of in making it, it got back to that more lighthearted, playful thing. And that was just the nature of filmmaking. And you kind of just got to like follow it and let it lead you and, and not try to fight the things that are happening. Um, and you kind of just at a certain point, let the movie make itself. Mm. What was that? Uh, edit, did you find anything in the editing process for piercing? Like, you know, all these split screen. Moments yeah. So, um, this, the split screens were written into the script. Okay. Um, well, one of them was, and then we added two more. Um, but it was piercing was, uh, it was more like, the edit process was more like a cultivation of the tone, like trying to figure out the exact right vibe of everything, finding the right music, finding the right pacing, finding the right performances. You know, something that we did a lot of was uh, the takes would be varied in like, in a lot of, we would do just different things in the takes and have a spectrum of like, totally go ridiculous, be more normal. And in the edit kind of, blending all of those um to to really craft this kind of weird tone um and that was more what the edit process and like the biggest thing was yeah so much of kind of just honing that style and making sure that the style was supporting the performances and the drama and all that is that something that you would recommend filmmakers do in a directing style is kind of go for the varied the like most varied possible performances or styles from take to take or do you think that it's do you think that it gives you more to play with in the end I don't know I think it depends on what kind of director you are you know and what kind of actors you're working with right um I think that something that was awesome about Chris and Mia is that we would talk a lot about the scenes and then we would do them and I would kind of watch the first take and be like sweet that was good that is exactly what we talked about and for me it was always less about like honing the performance to be the exact thing that was in my head um and more about being like well what do you guys like is there anything else you want to do is and and they would have ideas like the best thing would be i would come like i'd be at the monitor call cut come on to set and they would have ideas of what they wanted to do next and and funny bits and and uh, they, I always, yeah, I always like, remember I'll the ice pick line. Just do one, or just do what is that? <laughs> the ice pick line, like, oh, let me get my ice pick. Yeah, you which know? is hilarious. Yeah, but like, we just do, we do a take that was just very, like, again, like back to the physical comedy thing. We, we were like, all right, like once we've kind of felt like we, we got it, but like, let's just do one that's completely absurd. Yeah, and like real, like a lot of like broad physical comedy, like when when Jackie, when Mia's character first gets to the apartment. Um, and like I'm making her a drink. I remember like I would literally do takes where I would do that classic like comedic thing where like my hand would be shaking and you hear the glass like hitting hitting the other glass, which is stupid. But like, <laughs> but why not? But why yeah. not have it? You know, just and it was like I, I I almost knew it wasn't going to end up in the film, but like it was I was like I but I got to do it. Well, it's those like small details I think within the performances. You yeah. Know, like even if it's not like wildly varied, you can like do those little tiny like gestures that'll make maybe. A scene 10 times better yeah and people and like at, at least at the first screening like people really um saw all those little things and laughed at them yeah i mean great the what you did with the napkin 
and when you were first offering her drink, I guess that was the the take that you guys went with. And, but. and which is all him too. That was something yeah, yeah, of yeah. like, you know, oh, well, I'm getting fingerprints everywhere yeah. and and like you out of focus in the background wiping down like <laughs> yeah, everything like, behind yeah. Try to hide it from and her. And she like, no, yeah, she notices yeah. too at one point. <laughs> So what can like directors do to sort of uh, uh, encourage that in their actors? Like you've worked with a ton of different directors. Um, what's a good way? Because I, I think like a lot of first time directors have a problem with like confidence. Yeah. Well, so, that's, that's, that's the biggest thing I think. Yeah. I think um, because when I think when you're very, you know, I, I, I think obviously hire well, I think, right. If you're a director, like hire, and not just the actors, but you know, obviously the people around you, but, um, uh, yeah, like being confident as a director to then to give actors, I guess, the freedom, you know, to like try and experiment and then just guide and be and and um, do it as a team and um, not not tre- not be precious about it. And um, and that's, you know, I, I've I've not really had that many experiences where it's not been that, you know, you, well, you're pretty selective with your films. It seems like you have been in some really good films yeah i've been in some clunkers yeah (laughs) believe me well okay guys i mean i guess (laughs) on that note to wrap up um (laughs) well that's not (laughs) this isn't one of those clunkers hopefully yeah no this is not one of those clunkers we'll say that um um, do you have any advice for first-time filmmakers uh just to like finish up here a golden nugget um you know my experience was like go make the movie i think that a lot of people wait for permission to go make a movie and um and I don't think anyone will ever give you a give you if you haven't made a movie before you're not getting permission so just go make well, it they're not going to give you permission to make a movie like you just made either yeah <laughs> yeah and I think that for me you know part of I know this is no film school but part of the it's beauty fine. of film school was I had Jake and I had friends that were able to be like you know what I don't need you to pay me a bunch let's just go get a fucking camera and go make a movie and whatever happens happens um but I needed to just I spent a lot of years being like if I only had a like six months or a year that I didn't have to work and I could just sit down and write a script I would I could write a script and then you realize that that's never gonna come and you just kind of have to do it and let your life happen alongside it and then hopefully it works but there isn't this like definitive moment where it's like here is your ticket to get to make a movie you kind of just have to fight your way in and be like I'm here suck it up I'm gonna skip you for now Chris and I'm gonna ask (laughs) Jake um how do filmmakers find people like you Maybe um, not in film, like <laughs> that aren't in film school. Chat roulette. No. Chat roulette. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I, I think, I mean, this kind of like goes into like, I feel like I'm, f- I, I start out as friends with the directors first and it's like kind of in our circle of filmmakers, like in New York, like we just have like even, there's a lot of crossover between Tyrell and piercing crew. Like we kind of like have this, like we're all friends first and foremost. Um, and so I think that, you know, even for, for what Nick was talking about, like Eyes of My Mother, we were still rewriting stuff up until the last day of, the last day of shooting. And like the script, it was definitely, we had a script and we shot, but um, 
kind of there was this flex it wasn't like the script was like in a perfect shape months before and um that it was more that we script I was, was like 65 pages. 65 pages but like we all knew nick and um nick and i've been working together forever and same with uh tyrell sebastian silva's film that's here this year like it was that that is the loosest script i've ever read in my entire life it was 55 pages like it was you know uh, the 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 action lines were like Sebastian talking, um, but it's like I had seen Sebastian's other films, which I loved, and I outside of filmmaking, like Sebastian is just like a funny person, and you can sit and listen to him for like an hour and a half talk, and if you can do that, you know I want to I want to see the movie that he's gonna make, and the same goes for Nick. It's just like I can listen for a Nick talk for hours, and I do <laughs> for like six hours. Oh, he straight. does. <laughs> yeah, for six hours straight about like a random thing, and it's funny and weird and crazy, and I think that really translates to his movie. So I think for first time filmmakers, like find whether you're a director, a producer, a writer, an actor, like find the people that you want to work with that trust you and then just go do it. Like it's, it's there, it isn't brain science. Like you can make a movie for $50,000. It's easier than ever now. Like with the technology, just like find a story that you like, find some good people, go upstate New York, yeah. shoot a movie, and you might end up at Sundance. That's great. Or just hang out in Williamsburg or, just hang, or, yeah. or Silver Lake. <laughs> or Silver Lake. <laughs> You're bound to run into one of these. Yeah. <laughs> um, great. I mean, Chris, I guess my question for you then would be, like, what can a screenwriter do uh, that would make – what do you look for in a script, I guess? Like, what would be an, an ideal script from a first-time filmmaker that you would like to see? Ten, like, Minimal stage directions or screen directions. Cool. Um, concise dialogue. Um, yeah, just, I mean, uh, um, I, I don't, I don't think it even takes like an actor to really give this advice. I mean, even if you're, you, you're, if uh, there's certain scripts that are page turners, you know, and then there are ones that are not. And, and you can tell immediately, you can tell by like page 10, you know, or 15, if like, if this is actually going to like, going to go somewhere. I've like rarely have like by page 15, have I been like, oh, and then keep going and been surprised and be like, oh, this is pretty good. Like you usually kind of know right away. Um, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, just, uh, yeah, uh, just work on it and have it be good. <laughs> I mean, I really don't know what to say. <laughs> no, like, it's just, it's either good or not. It's, yeah, like, yeah. it's like a book, you know what I mean? Um, you like when, when things sometimes, like I've read many scripts sometimes where things are very meandering and like, you're like, what are you doing? Like, what are you, you know, a lot of like, you know, so like in, you know, some any any films fall culprit to this sometimes where it's just like, like movies just kind of about nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and like weirdly like Sebastian Silva is someone who like, it's seemingly like nothing, but then there's so much going on. Right. You know, there's like all these like weird little nuggets of something, but then, then, but then there are movies that are really just about like nothing. And like, someone's like, oh, I didn't get coffee. And someone's like, oh no, I'm tired. You know what I mean? And it's just like, I'm like super tired. That's, right, that's that my movie. first feature. Yeah, You're not, right. not oh, oh no, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> Need coffee. <laughs> oh no, I'm tired. It's yeah. coming in uh, 2019. Yeah, none of those. Cool. Well, uh, great. So avoid those Williamsburg clunkers and uh, <laughs> fuck yeah, guys. That was a great interview. Thank you. Congrats Thanks. and uh, Thank you. we'll see you soon. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the No Film School podcast on any platform you use. And if that happens to be iTunes, go ahead and give us a five star rating. That would be fantastic. I'm John Fusco. You can follow me on Twitter at Jim underscore John underscore Jim. Check back in this Thursday and every other Thursday for our flagship news show, Indie Film Weekly. 
And of course, remember to go to nofilmschool.com every day to check out all the new articles we have for you there. See you Thursday.